we'd like to, to welcome you to our uh, dedicated study uh, entitled King James Bible, its translators, and King James I of England defended. And we're going to be covering a lot of different aspects of this particular subject. I've never done a study where we focused in on King James and um, the somewhat the translators of the 1611 KJV. Uh, it's but it's necessary. There's been a lot of things, a lot of accusations, particularly since this whole zeitgeist, devil, new age um, movie that I've refuted on two different studies, and many other people have refuted it as well. Uh, that attempts to basically just discredit the Bible, discredit Jesus Christ, discredit King James, discredit the King... I mean, just everything that it can try to discredit, the zeitgeist did. And uh, a lot of this, these accusations started from that. And so it's kind of been a long time coming. There's a lot of different aspects to this subject and so we're just going to go through and cover, it's a 36-page PDF, but we're going to be covering just the first 13 pages, and then the rest is going to be a lot of other documentation that you can have access to. This thing is chock full of links. Um, I'm going to be just basically hitting the high points here, because if I were to try to cover all the information and all the different links that we're going over, it would turn into like multi-month study just to cover this one subject. It, but the nice thing is is that if you want to know more about a particular thing that we're talking about, the information's there. Uh, the information's documented. And uh, there's several links that you can click into to proceed further. So, starting, the crowning achievement of, the King, J- of King James Charles Stewart was his commissioning of the translation of the authorized King James Version of the Bible. That's his full name, King James Charles Stewart. Okay. The king appointed the world's best scholars to the work and throughout the translation paid careful attention to ensure the translation was completed. And here's a link here that says why I only read the authorized King James Version of the Bible. You can click into that if you like. King James um, was also known as King James I of England and also King James VI of Scotland or James Charles Stuart. That was his full name. Um, now, as of May 2011, it marked the 400th year anniversary of the authorized King James Bible. So, 400 uh, year anniversary in 2011. There's a couple more links here in important yet concise historical information uh, regarding the subject here. There's just a lot of different links that, that you can click on. Um, now, about King James I, uh, in 1604, King James I of Great Britain specially commanded the translation of what came to be known as the authorized King James Version of 1611. Uh, He also found, he is also the founding monarch of the United States, Jamestown, Virginia, established in 1607, and is named after King James, Jamestown, and is known as America's birthplace and where, quote, America began. So, in other words, we're not just going to be looking at the King James Bible. We're looking at some of his other uh, achievements as well. And here's a link that says, click here to see various signs found in Jamestown, Virginia, as well as a few of the other King James names found in that region. A link here, biography of King James, 
Um, and then a whole bunch of other links here that I'm, I'm again, uh, just basically proving a lot of different history and documentation there. Um, King James and the defense of the right of kings. It is often mentioned that King James uh, spoke about the divine right of kings, but many do not know why he did this. They may think they know, but they have not read the king's works for themselves. What they, quote, know is what somebody told them. They just accepted the interpretation of a professor, textbook, author, or etc. In other words, you know, one more thing that they're trying to demonize him about. Um, let's see here. It is important to note, however, that in the divine right of kings, the idea that kings are accountable to God alone neither began nor ended with King James. Okay, so if that's one of the things you've heard, oh yeah, he wrote the divine right of kings and 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 you know this or that. Well, okay, let's see actually what he said. And these two links here will will take you deep into that subject. Okay, but again, just for time's sake, I don't have time to go specifically into that. Um, we've got a lot to cover just with what we have on our plate right now. Now, <clears throat> King James in his um, writings and speeches, um, is the works of the Most High and the mighty and the mighty Prince James. This helps, includes an excellent summary of the writings contained in his King James writing called The Works. Um, the Works is an amazing, scarce collection of King James writings published in 1616. The Works contain many of the king's most famous writings. Basilicon Doron, Daemonology, Counterblast to Tobacco, and Sundry Speeches, in addition to his lesser-known Christian writings. Okay? He had Christian writings. When you read the king's writings, you will find his faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures manifested everywhere, including in his political speeches before the Lords of British Parliament. Throughout the, this landmark volume runs a common message that Rome does not want you to hear. Okay, so you have to understand what are all the hidden agendas behind attacking the King King James? Because see, what the, the whole point here from a satanic standpoint is discredit the guy that commissioned the King James Bible and then supposedly you discredit the King James Bible. Okay, so that this is why I, I'm I felt really compelled to try to get into the subject. You know, because obviously there's a satanic agenda afoot here. And Rome has had a, a a lot to do with people just, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things about the King James Bible. Uh, it, it's one of the only versions that exist, if, if the only, where we, it really, really comes down on homosexuals. And here we're moving into a time where Jesus Christ said, as it was in the days of Lot. Now, I, I know he also said Noah, which was pure wickedness too. But as in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, Lot, Sodom, and Gomorrah. So, of course, you're going to have the homosexual, pagan lobby attacking the Bible that condemns them in their lifestyle. I mean, in the King James Bible, in the Old Testament, it was a death sentence. To be a witch, to be a, a sodomite, and these types of things. And, and the modern day 
versions from a totally different other stream of Bibles have watered those down so much that there's no condemnation. Not to say there's not any in every one, but it's much more watered down, and it gets more watered down as they release new, more copywritten versions from corrupt text streams. So, um, then there's more more links that you can look at here. Um, King James first in Papal Opposition. Now, these are all links. And it says, was King James a closet Catholic? This study includes excerpts of King James' own writings. This guy was not a closet Catholic. And I'm going to prove that. And again, I'm skipping over so many different links here. that I mean, they're just... Think, I'm doing this more to give you an overview so that if you want to, you can go back later and click on these and see for yourself. I mean, it's the the actual historical writings here. Uh, I mean, there's just been more bashing on this subject, particularly with people that have no clue what they're talking about. In researching this, I went up on message boards and stuff and said, yeah, King James is a flaming homosexual. King James was a Catholic. Um, King, you know, all these accusations with no, no backing whatsoever other than maybe citing the zeitgeist or some, or some occult writer like Manly P. Hall or Aleister Crowley. Literally, I'm, I'm serious. That's just going after him. Well, of course, if you're, if you're totally involved in serving Satan, do you think Satan is going to, to um, say, you know, let's give the King James Bible and King James a pass? No, he is going to say, I want you to go both barrels to some of his highest satanic human foot soldiers and attack the King James, King James and the King James Bible. That's what's being done. So it, it would make sense. It would make sense if it didn't. It wouldn't make sense if it didn't happen, actually. You would expect this, in other words. Um, here, King James on the infamous gunpowder plot. Catholics tried to kill King James um, in an attempt with an attempt by Guy Fawkes and other Roman Catholic conspirators to blow up the House of Parliament in 1605. Tried to kill him. Comment, if King James was a closet Catholic... Why did the Catholic Church try to assassinate him? And why did he write against them? As did his translators that he commissioned. They wrote against him, the Catholic Church as well. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, let's read from his own writing. King James, Meditation on Revelation. This is from uh, a Meditation on Revelation premonition. Okay, This is directly from his, his writings. The links there. Um... <clears throat> to read the full thing, the Pope is Antichrist. This is King James' own hand. The Pope is Antichrist. And Popery, the loosing of Satan, from whom proceedeth false, false doctrine and cruelty to subvert the kingdom of Christ. Now whether the Pope, now you understand why the Catholics tried to kill him? <laughs> the Pope did? It's kind of making a little more sense. Now, whether the Pope beareth these marks or not, let any indifferent man judge. I think surely it expounds itself. Doth he not usurp Christ in his office? Absolutely. The Pope usurps Christ in his office. That's why he's known as the vicar of Christ. Vicar meaning substitute. Doth not he usurp Christ in his office, calling himself 
universal bishop and head of the church. Playeth he not the part of Apollyon and Abaddon, the king of the locusts and destroyer? Man, I mean, this is some serious... Um, he's... <laughs> wow. I mean, that's going after it. I like it. He's calling the Pope, Apollyon, and Abaddon, the king of locusts and the destroyer. <laughs> Very accurate. Or son of perdition? in chopping and changing of souls betwixt heaven, hell, and his fantastic or imagined purgatory at his pleasure? Again, he's acknowledging that purgatory is a farce. It's not a biblical doctrine. Why would he know that? Because he knew the Bible. Blasphemeth he not in denying us to be saved by the imputation of Christ his righteousness? Moreover, hath he not sent forth and abused the world with innumerable order of locusts and shavelings? Uh, locusts and shavelings meaning his minions, essentially. The Pope's minions, like the Jesuits. And Hath he not so fully ruled over the world these many hundreds, hundredth of years, as to the fire went he, whosoever he was, that durst deny any part of his usurped, supremacy, meaning, you know how many people were burned at the stake because they denied the Pope's usurped supremacy? Sure. Absolutely. But I am sure none will condemn me for an heretic, save such as make the Pope their God. End of quote. Wow. Wow. I thought I had some strong words against the Catholic Church. He has heard them in the last study the beginning of, of part one. I got nothing on, on King James here. Not just one of his one part of one of his writings. Now, we're going to get to the whole Apocrypha thing as well. Okay? So, we're going to get to the whole Sir Francis Bacon thing. We're going to get to the Apocrypha. Okay, we're going to get to all that. Now, again, this is... Um, he wrote a track called Counterblast to Tobacco which was referred to as the first anti-smoking track. Now, I've done teaching on smoking and on marijuana. Key, key any of those terms in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. Um, and so he, he was way ahead of his time on that. A uh, whole bunch of other links here you can click into. And then, okay, what about the translations of the Bible that existed before the authorized version of 1611? So that's another big thing that comes. What about the Geneva? What about this or that? Okay. King James translators themselves answer this question. Okay. Also read on about the translators, the impact of the authorized version, the strange fire after two and a half centuries, and chief adversaries of the translation, and King James himself standing as a bulwark of protection. We have much to be thankful for. So there's a link regarding that particular subject. What about the translations of the Bible that existed prior to the authorized version of 1611. I'm not demonizing them, but this is addressing that subject. Um, link called Overview of the Bible, especially helpful for those who would like to better understand the flow of the Old Testament basic Bible geography. Here's a link that you can download and bind your own authorized King James Bible, which is the pure Cambridge edition of 1769, which is the edition, the revisioned edition that is the best. 
the best revision of the 1611, because we don't have a 1611 King James Bible. I mean, unless you're adept at reading Old English, you're going to have a rough time with that one. What we have in today's day and age is a 1769, hopefully, pure Cambridge edition. That is the best revision of the King James Bible that exists. Okay? You've got Cambridge, you've got Oxford. Okay? The PCE, or the pure Cambridge edition, is the the best. Okay? And here's a link to that. They're very hard to find, the Bibles. Okay? KJV, pure Cambridge edition, are very hard to find. And it's all by design. <laughs> um, but they can be found with keyword searches online and, and things of this nature. So... And then um, there's a 400th year anniversary King James Bible page. You can click on that if you like. And then we have another link entitled The Translators of the King James Bible, a group of linguists like the world has ever known. The epistle dedicatory of the King James Bible says that the the translators were traduced and maligned by popish persons. And self-conceited, quote, brethren. Okay, so they were, the translators themselves said that they were maligned. They were calcuminated. They were, they were um, attacked, essentially, by these popish persons. Okay, so by the Catholic Church, essentially. And by self-conceited brethren. Um, my comment. Why would the translators of the 1611 KJV rail against the Catholic Church if they were closet Catholics? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Here's more reading, more writings uh, from King James, or actually this is one from his cousin. Small Treaties Against the Primacy of the Pope. This was by King James Edward VI of England, the cousin of King James. And then here's a transcription of the gunpowder plot trial, the Roman, where the Roman Catholics tried to kill King James. There's the whole transcription of the gunpowder plot. Tried to kill him because of basically what I just went over. He was an enemy to the Catholic Church, to the Pope. A very vocal one. Um, and then we have Mischief, Mischief Mystery, or Treason's Masterpiece, the a 16... Um, 17 track against the Catholic religion. Uh, the Mayfire Compact, King James I was the founding monarch of the first successful colonies of America. Pretty major issue there for Americans. And then other things, um, insult to indictment, the critical case against King James examined. So there's another, there's another whole link dedicated to Okay, let's look at all of these attacks against King James and let's let's critically examine this. There's a whole link that gets into the different aspects of that. And then another one. Did King James burn Baptists? There's a link there to that. No. Okay? Um, King James and the Puritans. The Puritanical types are constantly bashing King James. My feeble protest to Bob Jones University professor. Um... And that's, there's a link there regarding that, the King James and the Puritans. So, again, just don't have time to go into all of these when other people have already went into these subjects at length. I am going to get into some specific things today, but what I'm trying to do is give you the equipment, the tools, 
to explore these particular areas. Um, I received this from, because I've had emails about, okay, what about the Apocrypha? Why was the Catholic Apocrypha in the original 1611 KJV? You know, these are these are issues that a lot of um, King James defenders will just stay away from or ignore. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And this is from Pastor Wade, Dr. D.A. Wade, who has literally 60 plus years, plus years of experience regarding defending the King James, the Textus Receptus, which is the underlying, you know, text type, the Hebrew Masoretic text. And um, he's a far greater expert than I'll ever be on this subject. And I, I had um, had a listener named Julio email me about the subject. And um, this was Pastor Waite's response to both Julio and not myself, because I wasn't, it was really his question. And, and it's, it's fair, okay? Um, he says, you were right, the original King James Bible of 1611 contained 80 books, 66 canonical or authentic books from God, and 14 non-canonical, meaning non-canon, or man-made books called the Apocrypha, or doubtful books. I'm sorry the Church of England included them, even though they recognized them not to be God-breathed and not canonical. They put them in from a historical for historical matters only to give some history of the years between the Old Testament books and the New Testament books, almost like a commentary. Okay, here's a quote from my book, Defending the King James Bible, page seventy-five to seventy-six. Just one of the many books he's written that shows the seven reasons for rejecting these fourteen apocryphal books, which were taken out. I mean, the subsequent revisions, they were never in there. Okay, so the reasons assigned for not admitting the apocryphal books into the canon or list of inspired scriptures are briefly the following. Number one, not one of them is in the Hebrew language, meaning the apocryphal books, uh, which, which was alone used by inspired historians and poets of the Old Testament. All but one are Greek and the other one is in Latin. Number two, not one of the writers lays any claim to inspiration in these apocryphal books. Not one says the Lord spoke through me, or these are the words of God. Three, these books were never acknowledged as sacred scripture by the Israelite church, those that were saved, and therefore were never sanctioned by our Lord. Four, they are not allowed in a place among sacred books during the first four centuries of the Christian church. Five, they contain fabulous statements in the sense of being fables and statements which contradict uh, not only canonical scripture, but themselves. As when, in the two books of Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes is made to die three different deaths in many different places. <laughs> so there's a lot of, uh, you know, um, contradiction there. Six, it promotes doctrines contradicting the Bible, such as prayers for the dead. And that is why the Roman Catholic Church prays for the dead. Well, again, this is where they get a lot of their their um, unbiblical dog, dogma, you know, uh, comes straight from these apocryphal books. Seven, it teaches immoral practices such as lying, suicide, assassination, and magical incantations. Um, God is against that in his word. Necromancers, those with familiar spirits and wizards, as the Bible says, are forbidden in scripture. For these and other reasons, the apocryphal books, which which are in Greek... 
except one that is extant in Latin, are valuable only as ancient documents, illustrative of the manners, languages, opinions, and history of the East. Okay, so it was more like a, they put them in there for more of a transitional type, supposedly to give you this historical thing. So, that's, that's that. Okay, now, I've also done, if you, if you key in Apocrypha in the keyword search at contendingfortruth.com, I've went into that subject in even greater depth. Um, it's particularly, you'll come up with the Tom Horn subject about where, you know, he's got, I was just up on his site today and, you know, selling the Apocrypha and you gotta have it, it's the, you know, greatest thing since sliced bread. You gotta have all these extra biblical books and libraries and stuff in order to get the true, real meaning of the Bible. No, 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 that's exactly, you know, what the Catholic Church has done. You know, you start getting outside of scripture, you're just gonna get into trouble. You know, um... Particularly when it's Catholic, so much of it's Catholic in its origin, you know. Anyway, so, got this this uh, in the my email box the other day, and I thought I would include it in this study, and it's called, from Chick Publications, and it's called One World Bible for a One World Religion. And um, this is just from March, April of this month, their newsletter, and it says, Recently discovered involvement of the Jesuits in the modern Bible versions gives new meaning to the fact that the new Pope is a Jesuit. For centuries, um, the Society of Jesus, a.k.a. the Jesuit Order, has shunned such a high-profile position. Their strategy of bringing the world under the power of the Pope has been to work behind the scenes, becoming confessors to the powerful and educators of the next generation of world leaders. The Jesuit general is also known as the Black Pope. It has long been assumed that he was the, that he was close to the power center of the Vatican universe. One Jesuit told David W. Daniels that the Pope was basically a Jesuit puppet. Um, Daniels' latest book, Why They Changed the Bible, and there's a link here you can click on if you want to look at that more, describes how the Jesuits have been influencing the Bible society since their founding and Bible translation product projects over the last... 150 years. Their success in shifting the Bible text to accommodate Roman Catholic dogma allows them a new boldness in pushing the, quote, unity agenda. Almost all modern versions are now based on Roman Catholic-approved manuscripts. A generation ago, Roman Catholics were discouraged from reading the Bible when the King James Version dominated. Rome's teachings on the Eucharist host and Virgin Mary goddess stood in stark contrast to Scripture. Readers of the KJV could clearly see this was false teaching. Now, the trend is clear toward a Bible whose fuzzy wording leads room for Roman dogma. By that, meaning these all these mutter, uh, muddled, modern-day uh, Bible versions that are coming out with Catholic, with that have as their um, original source Catholic, corrupt Catholic manuscripts as their source that they're translated from. Apparently, the Vatican no longer fears for their people to read the Bible. In the past, excommunication, inquisition, or death was pronounced upon anyone who dared to read the Bible for himself without the church to interpret it for them. Now they have the Catholic Bible studies. They have cleverly convinced Protestants that it is because the Catholic Mother Church has changed. 
But if you scratch the surface, you'll find that the basic pagan teachings of the way for God, the Virgin Mary goddess, salvation by works, confession to a priest, indulgences, and purgatory have not changed. So what did change? Daniels proves that the Bible has, it's the Bible that's changed. The Jesuit calendar is measured in 100 plus year plans. In the early 1800s, a decision was made to abandon violence in fighting the Reformation. Instead of trying to stamp out the Bible and execute all Bible believers, Daniel says they decided to, quote, fix the Bible. Thus began a clandestine, multi-century campaign to change the Bible where it contradicted their pagan doctrines. They resurrected corrupt manuscripts from the wastebaskets of history. Now, that's literally what they did with the Sinaiticus which is, you got the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, that Westcott and Hort, two, two basically high-level occultists, they resurrected these two totally corrupt Catholic manuscripts in 1881 to make the revised version. They literally found the Sinaiticus in a, uh, a Catholic monastery trash can. That was where the Sinaiticus was found, at the base of Mount Sinai. That's why they call it the Sinaiticus. It's from, it was found in a trash can in the base in, at the base of Mount Sinai at a monastery there. And just and then the other one, the Vaticanus, was in the Vatican. Nobody would even touch it. It was so corrupt. Even the even the Catholics wouldn't touch it. And those are the two they combined together to make the modern day revised version of 1881 that essentially spawned all the other ones we have today, all these modern day versions. So it is a big deal. Um, let's go further. Uh, and they maneuvered them into the translation process as foundation documents for future, quote, revisions. Jesuits were welcomed onto the translation committees and Bible society boards of directors to help an interconfessional Bible. So here's a, a link that is a timeline link, a visual timeline link of the two different streams of Bibles, and it's, in, it's entitled, Where Did Our Bibles Come From? And on the right side, you see the Catholic, corrupt Catholic manuscripts that started in Alexandria, Egypt. And then on the left side, you have the KJV, which essentially started in Antioch, where the Bible says in Acts they were first called Christians. And it shows you the two different distinct streams. They both can't be the Word of God. And the one is obviously not even close to being the Word of God, but a satanic counterfeit. And Satan always counterfeits whatever God has out there that's true. So, as usual, anyone who tries to compromise with Rome uh, eventually learns that it's a one-way street. Popes brag that the Catholic Church never changes. They stress even on... working on common grounds such as abortion and even evangelization. But if Protestants look closely, they are helping promote a false gospel of salvation by works and submission to the Mother Church in the name of, quote, unity. So I don't have any part of that. Just got into that in the last part, or the first part of the study. Eventually, all roads do lead to Rome. Daniel shows that not only are there modern Bible versions resting on the quicksands of polluted manuscripts, but now even Wycliffe Bible translators are exclusively using Greek text approved by Rome for its, quote, interconfessional qualities. I guess that has something to do with the confession booth, which is another totally unbiblical doctrine. 
Catholic missionaries readily use Wycliffe SIL translations to entice native tribes into Rome's spider web of idolatry and paganism. Only Bible believers who trust God's preserved words in the King James Bible are equipped to resist the tide toward a one-world Bible and a one-world religion. That's a big statement at the end. That's why I always go back to this. Because if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you're basing your faith on a corrupt Bible with a corrupt foundation, with Catholic underpinnings, Oh boy, your faith is on some shaky ground. Only Bible believers who trust the God's preserved word in the King James Bible have their rock built on the solid, solid rock of Christ Jesus, have their house built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, are equipped to resist the tide toward a one-world Bible for a one-world religion. Big reason why I'm doing this, this study today. Now, let's go further. The KJV Sir Francis Bacon lie exposed. This is from, I think, uh, Blessed Quietness site. Um, this is uh, Steve, a guy named Steve writing this. Uh, he says, of Sir Francis Bacon, who was a flaming one-worlder and Freemason, and who was said to be a sodomite, edited the King James Bible, and if Manly P. Hall and Aleister Crowley are the final authority on the origin of the KJV, then I must abandon the Christian faith and move on to eat, drink, and be merry. You see, my God used the KJV for 350 years to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. So something just doesn't add up here. Because, see, that's another big thing. Oh, Sir Francis Bacon, yeah, he, he's, he wrote the King James Bible, and yeah, yeah, he did. Okay. Really? Let's look at that a little closer. So this is the critical discussion forced on us by the filth of Freemasonry and the New Age and the modern perverted Muslim scholars and the witches who all desperately need to trash the one book on earth which blow away their lies and prevarications. Thus we engage the enemy. So here's this letter I guess he got and it says, I am writing from the United Kingdom. I have started having doubts about the KJV. This Bible was ordered by King James to be edited by none other than uh, Sir Francis Bacon. Um, Crowley, I don't know, and then it says, if you check this, you will find it to be true. And this is typical. This, I mean, when I go up on message boards and I re- was researching the subject, it was like, wow, okay, I guess you're the be-all, end-all because you said it out of your mouth because you're parroting this from the zeitgeist, or from Crowley's writings, or from Manly P. Hall. I mean, these guys were so wicked and evil, and fork-tongued liars, total Satanists, Luciferians. I mean, I'm not... They are. They would openly admit it. Yeah, it was it was Sir Francis Bacon. And, and it's true, because I said it. Oh, really? Wow, that's amazing scholarship there. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, Steve's answer to this. He says, here's a quote from a website that you may have visited. It has a Freemason logos for icons, so I suspect the author is a Freemason. May I, in reply to your inquiry, contribute a little light on the subject? Some years ago, I forgot how many, I came to the conclusion that Francis Bacon was 
mainly, if not entirely, responsible for a threefold undertaking. Number one, the Shakespearean plays. Number two, the creation of its present form of Freemasonry. And three, the translation of the Holy Bible into its present well-known authorized version. The three were undoubtedly intermingled. All three had very largely the same foundation. The training Bacon received from his foster mother, Lady Anne Bacon, um, who was devoted in her religious beliefs and practice. The young Francis would unquestionably be largely influenced by Lady, Lady Bacon's guidance. Bacon evidently knew his Bible very well, and it is my belief that the whole scheme of the authorized version was his. So this is some some pagan guy, right? some Freemason guy writing this, okay? Again, all we're seeing here is opinion. I think this happened, so therefore it did. So just shut up and accept what I say. And he goes on to say, he was an ardent student, not only of the Bible, but of early manuscripts. St. Augustine, St. Jerome, and the writers of theological works, these are Catholics, were studied by him with industry. He left his annotations and many copies of the Bible and scores of other theological works. The translation must have been a work in which he took the greatest interest. <coughs> in fact, he very well may have inspired it. He would follow its progress from stage to stage, and when the last stage came, there was only one writer of the period capable of turning the phrases with his matchless style, which is of great charm and of so abundantly evident in the authorized version and the Shakespearean plays. Whosoever that stylist was, he produced the result, which on its literary merits is without rival. Oh, wow. I mean, that really convinced me that definitely Sir Francis Bacon is the guy that did it, even though King James commissioned the translators who none of them, these translators were known, and I give you a link, and I also, the last part of the study is all about the translators. Sir Francis Bacon was not one of them. He was not. Okay? I mean, this is pretty easily disproven. Oh no, he was in secret. He did it all. Oh, so they hid the fact that he was the main guy that did all of it. And these other 50-plus translators on the King James Bible, and there were originally 54, and then I believe they reduced it to 50, because some people dropped out and this and that. They were all under his thumb. He was doing all the writing. He was doing all the translating, and they were just there as figureheads. That makes a lot of sense to me. And this happened over a seven-year period, from 1604 to 1611? But it was Bacon that did everything? What? It doesn't even make any sense. His um, response, Steve's response, I know the history of Freemasonry and Bacon did not reinvent it. That is insane. Also, the KJV Translation Committee hated the manuscripts Augustine of the Catholic Church used. And they used, and I've done Key and Augustine. I've exposed him. At length. Anyway, and they used the non-Catholic uh, Textus Receptus to do their translation, which was, was non-Catholic. If Bacon loved Augustine, there would have been war between the translators and Bacon. There's another great point. Furthermore, James I hated the Roman Church. I already got into that. The webpage quoted... Uh, was this web page that was quoted was done by Freemasons who want to take credit for everything that they can. 
If you are fool enough to believe them, then I cannot stop you. Bacon was known by some of those involved in the 1611 KJV translation, but Bacon was not anywhere near the center of this work. Deeply godly men were the ones in charge under the king's authority, and the work, and their work was not edited outside of the circle. And again, I give you the full, there's links, and then I also post that part of it about the translators when we get past page 13 of this document. And that goes all the way to page 36 on the translators alone. Okay? Uh, so there's, I'm not just saying this like they are, where I'm saying, no, it wasn't Bacon, he didn't do it, believe it, and okay, I'm done. No, I'm not doing that. I'm actually giving you verification of that. I'm giving you historical verification. And I don't even know how many links are present in this study, but it's probably into the hundreds. Easily. So, going further. Um, now, I think I have found the man who originated this urban legend of Bacon editing the KJV. He is Manly P. Hall, who was one of the highest-ranking Freemasons, Luciferians, of the early 1900s in that era. This man was a very satanic man and an inner circle writer of the Freemasons at a very high level, okay? He came after Crowley. He was the one who taught that the Freemasons became the person of Christ in this world. And he promoted some sexually filthy notions of spiritual things also. Here is his writing on the topic of bacon in the KJV, and there's a link he gives you there. Um, so here, where do we have the source of so much of what these attacks that happen on the KJV Bible, on King James himself, on the whole, where did they originate from? High-level, demon-possessed, Luciferian, satanic occultists, like Aleister Crowley and Manly P. Hall. So see, whenever I get somebody that comes to me and they're like, what about this religion? Go research. Research like the other day. Somebody asked me about some Nazarene oneness thing. Do a keyword search. Nazarene, I don't even know if it was oneness. Nazarene oneness. If you can be specific, put the actual title in quotes and then, and then if you're suspect of them, and I'm suspect of any denomination because there's just no Bible for denominations. Key in the subject, Nazarene oneness, exposed, debunked, warning, heresy, with those other words outside of quotes. This is how you research. See what comes up. If you start to see horror story after horror story of documentation and what their cult belief systems are, I don't need to look any further to debate somebody about, you know, whether theirs is the true religion. Theirs is a cult or a pseudo-Christian derivation of Christianity, and I'm not going to sit there and get into a gigantic, huge debate. With, I just present them the facts about their own religion and say, what do you do about this? You know? I mean, what? This is a real, this is kind of a deal breaker, all this information I found about this little cult that you're in. You know, how, how do you get around this? You know, how, how do you get around all, all of this unbelievably corrupt 
corrupt underpinnings of this little cult that you're involved with. So the point there is consider the foundation of whatever you're debating. Don't just go and, and, and debate on whatever level they want you to debate on. Like a Jehovah Witness comes up and starts spouting some obscure Bible verse about Michael to try to convince you that he was like the brother of Jesus. Not the not Jesus Christ created Michael because the Bible says all things were made by him and not without him was not anything made that was made. No, that's what they do. They want to take you to their little pet doctrine that they've been brainwashed into brainwashing other people into debating that one point of some obscure doctrine in the Bible and they're not even going to use a King James Bible to do it. In a Jehovah Witness case, they're going to use a New World New World Order translation. New World Translation. You know? That's how they do it. And they'll typically want to get you on their turf to do it. Because there's devils involved. Don't play their game. Don't let people rob all your time and play their games. They're just there to steal your time. Yeah, I'm not saying that at the start of a debate it's not good to engage and, and, and to try to lead them to the truth and to pray and possibly fast about it, but I wouldn't sit there and spin my wheels forever. I wouldn't waste all my time on somebody that's just literally sent by Satan to deceive you and to get you to doubt your faith. And I've been there, done it. <laughs> I have. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying. Know when to move on. Know when to not cast your pearl before swine. I got into this in a recent teaching on, on, on the parameters on when to engage and when not to engage. When to debate and when not to debate. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like him. I'm sorry, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he be like him. And then it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Well, there's a time you answer a fool, and there's a time you don't. Okay, the time you answer is typically at the beginning of a debate, but you just don't sit there and spin your wheels forever and waste all your time on a, on a particular person who's just demon infested and has no, um, is just bent on trying to take people to hell and waste and, and, and uh, gobble up all your time. Okay, and I, granted, you need to pray about that. I'm not saying, you know, just the Holy Spirit's still convicting you to deal, do it. But let's go further here. Uh, even the filthy Crowley fans have no use for bacon and expose his fall from grace with the King James the first. I actually clicked into that link and read, had to scan down quite a bit where Crowley got into the whole thing with bacon and his fall from grace with um, King James. Do you really think King James was so utterly ungodly as to allow the flaming mystic near the KJV work? He is not even listed as a translator. I mean, the translators were the guys doing that work, okay? Appointed Lord Chancellor in 1618, Bacon was removed from the office three years later for accepting, actually it was multiple bribes from multiple litigants. It was like, I don't know, 30-some counts. It wasn't just one bribe. Okay, comment. So if King James were a Freemason, 
he would be required through the blood oath that he took to show special favor to Bacon. Taking bribes, which is a rather minor offense compared to something like murder, is something King James would have had of, would have had to have overlooked for his Freemasonic brother, if that were the case, if he was his Freemasonic brother. And he was in the best position, as far as power goes, to do this. But King James did not do so. Alexander Pope summed up Francis, uh, Sir Francis Bacon's Bacon's character, when he said, If parts allure thee, think how Bacon shined, the wisest, brightest, meanest of mankind. So he basically said that this guy was the meanest part of mankind. That was his assessment of him. So how could anyone believe that Bacon was a man King James I would have had near the translators? I hope this helps you get started on some serious research of your own. I believe you have been into the urban legend which was invented by Freemasons and high-level occultists who hate King James and the Bible which he commissioned. Obviously, sure. They resent the fact that James removed Bacon, um, the Freemason, from office as well. Now, then, a lot of this started too when Cutting Edge came out with their stuff. This was back in... 2008, um, and this is from them, Cutting Edge responded, and below I, re- I posted their response, and this is from, uh, let's see, I must have edited his name out, oh, Mac Dominic, Cutting Edge. He says, sorry for the delay of getting back to you. I will cut to the chase on all this. We believe the King James Bible is a reliable English translation of the Word of God. This whole Bacon Masonic thing was blown out of proportion uh, by a few people who do believe the translators of the KJV were just as inspired as the original authors. Okay, in other words, there's a sect of people out there like Peter Ruckman that believe that the KJV translators were absolutely just as inspired as the people that wrote the original autographs that the KJVs translated from. It's almost like double inspiration here. Okay, Not to say that they weren't led by the Holy Spirit, but they didn't actually pen the first words that formed the Bible. Do you understand the difference there? I don't fall into the Peter Rockman camp. I don't. I don't think we need that. Where that where that ha, where the KJV has to be as inspired as the original autographs. They've already been written. Now it's a matter of just having a reliable translation. Yes, guided by the Holy Spirit. True, no doubt. But let's have a little bit of balance here. Because Ruckman will go so far as to say that the KJV is absolutely superior in every way, shape, and form to the original autographs. So much so that it's it's almost heresy to look back at them, like to look back at the original Hebrew or Greek. Because they're 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 done away with now. They're 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 passe, they're 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 not they're not needed at all because we have you know, the KJV to go on 
So we don't have to look at the underlying. There's no reason to ever look at the underlying text types. Ever. Again, carrying something to the, just an extreme that I don't think God ever intended. Um, let's go further. There are there was no tampering with the text of the manuscript by Bacon. See, <clears throat> see that's the big contention. Bacon got in there and just after evidently after the translators got done doing their thing, he got in there and just wrecked the Bible. Evidently, I, you know what? I think when it got released, the translators might have had something to say about that because they know what they wrote, they know how they translated it. I think they might have had there, there might have been some of the 50 say something if that were the case. Considering Sir Francis Bacon wasn't even listed as one of the 50 translators. Okay? (laughs) I think there would have been something that came out, and there is nothing that ever came out regarding that. That by itself, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, about Francis Bacon tampering with the manuscripts. He Here's Cunning Edge is even saying this. Who Cunning Edge does not take any kind of real stance on the KJV. They're they're not, I mean, they use the KJV quote slash amplified. Okay? So, they're even admitting this. And then he goes on to say, and that is readily proven by anyone who can translate, let me just read that sentence in totality again. There was no tampering with the text of the manuscript by Bacon. And that is readily proven by anyone who can translate Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. For one can get copies of the various Texas Receptus Codexes used by the translators and proof their work. Um, great point. Really good point. Okay. All Bacon did while in possession of the manuscript, if that happened, was add some occult artwork to the original publication. Now here's the, here's the big thing. What do you mean? You look at the 1611 KJV? No, there's there's no tampering with the text whatsoever. Is there some questionable artwork in that translation? Yes, there is. There's also the Apocrypha, which was eliminated later, as was the artwork. Okay? Yeah, it's true. But, if Bacon had anything to do with this, he, he added some occult artwork after the publishers were done with the final everything, okay? This was all removed by the 1769 KJV, and most of us now use many, um, do, uh, the, the 1611 KJV, remember what I said before? Okay. Many do not understand there were three revisions after 1611 with over 25,000 changes to the text. <coughs> These were updates to grammar. Because remember, like I said, they, these were old English words. We wouldn't understand a 1611 KJV now. Okay, So this had to be done to, to update so we could understand them. They were revisions. They were not different translations. It wasn't like the KJV 2. These were just revising grammar and updating vocabulary. That's it. 
And thus God has indeed preserved his word in the English language, in the KJV. I hope this answers your question, Mac Dominic, Cutting Edge Ministries. Now, the second Cutting Edge article, they say right up front, notice we are not saying, this is from Cutting Edge again, notice we are not saying, we are not saying that Bacon wrote the KJV. He and his Knights of the Helmet spent nearly one year fashioning these these symbolic pages in the front and throughout the text after the KJV scholars had finished their manuscript. That's their contention. Okay, I view this purely as two separate issues. The images of the original KJV 1611 and the text of the original KJV 1611 are totally different. You had 50-some guys that were commissioned from 1604 to 1611 do their thing and produce this very reliable, accurate, godly translation. They were not the guys that had to do with the, with afterward of of the of the pictures they had that was not their deal but the the text was not altered in any way shape or form by them or you could be real sure that the translators would have been absolutely totally up in arms about it and they would have most likely retracted the whole thing because they would have went to King James and in a whole stop would have been put to it. You, you can't work on something for seven years and just say, oh yeah, yeah, go wreck it. And then you hear nothing from them. From their seven years of hard work. It doesn't make any sense. There's no way around the facts that many of these images in the original KJV, 1611 KJV, are troubling, and I have actually viewed these online. But what Cutting Edge is saying explains how these images showed up in the original 1611 KJV. And this is a subject nobody wants to even touch. What I'm getting into now. Nobody wants to even touch it. I'm touching it. I'm not saying it's because I'm so whatever. I'm just saying that it, it needs to be addressed. An explanation needs to be brought forth. It was an attempt by Satan to infiltrate the true word of God with corrupt images that would make people like you and me question the word of God. Same reason the Apocrypha was in there. So this is how the troubling artwork got into the original 1611 KJV. It was done by typesetters slash publishers, not the translators, after the 1611 KJV was finished. And if Bacon got to them, this would even make more sense. But he had nothing to do with the translation process. We don't even we all of that stuff's been eliminated now. You get it. You get a uh, uh, let's say a, a 1769 pure Cambridge edition KJV Bible. None of the images are in there, and they haven't been in there for literally at this point hundreds of years. And the apocrypha's not in there. Now all that stuff was gotten rid of, purified out of there. And the Apocrypha was a separate unto itself, even in that. It wasn't like they commingled it with, like, Matthew and Mark, and you know what I mean? It was a separate. Now, I've done a four-part series on the KJV Defended as God's Preserved Word, parts one through four. I give you the links to that here. Reasons for accepting the KJV as God's Preserved Word. God promised to preserve his words, 
Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, the words of the the words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Okay, so he's promised to preserve his words, it's just a matter of us finding them as Christians, okay? He also promised to preserve them in Matthew 24, 35. There's been, uh, there has to be a preserved copy of God's pure words somewhere. If it isn't the KJV, then what is it? The, K, the, the corrupt Catholic manuscripts? Which have, you know, all, you know, hundreds of literal different derivations and translations. KJV is just one. You know. It has no copyright. Now, granted, Cambridge does have copyright in England now. Okay, but that's just in England. KJV Bible is not copyright in any other part of the planet. The text of the KJV may be reproduced by anyone, for there is no copyright forbidden in its duplication. That's why when you go to a dime store, or these dollar stores, and you can still find a KJV Bible for one dollar, literally, it can be sold for that, because there's no copyright. They don't have to pay anybody like they do to NIV, or ESV, or whatever, because it's all about making money. This is not true of the modern perversions. Three, the KJV produces good fruit. See Matthew 7, 17-20. No modern translation can compare to the KJV when it comes to producing good fruit. Nearly 400 years, God has used this preaching and teaching of the KJV to bring hundreds of millions to Christ. Laodicean Christians might favor the new versions, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. Four, the KJV was translated during the Philadelphia church period. Revelation 3, verse 7 through 13. The modern perversions begin to appear rather late on the scene as the lukewarm Laodicean period gets underway, which is where we have the revised version of 1881, I really believe being the thing that kicks that whole thing off. But the KJV was produced way back in 1611, just in time for many of the great revivals from the 1700s to the 1900s. The Philadelphia church was the only church that did not receive a rebuke from the Lord Jesus Christ and was the only church that kept God's words in Revelation 3.8. So, see, that's something else to think about. Five, the KJV translators were honest in their work. When the translators had to add certain words, largely due to an idiom change, they placed the added words in italics so we know the difference. This is not the case with many of the new translations. Six, all new translations compare themselves to the KJV. Isn't it strange that the new versions never compare themselves to another book, to, to another one? Why, for some strange reason, they all line up against one book, the KJV? I wonder why. Try Matthew twelve twenty six. Seven, the KJV translators believe they were handling the very words of God. Just read the King James dedicatory and compare it with the prefaces of the modern versions. Immediately you will see a world of difference in the approach and attitude of the translators. Which group would you pick tra- for translating a book? Oh, you can go to the NIV with Virginia Mullencott on the translation committee. A literal, rabid, rabid, new age, lesbian witch. I- I'm not making this up. She's just one of the many reprobates on these translation committees of these modern versions. Eight. The KJV is supported um, by far more evidence of over 5,300 pieces of manuscript evidence. 95% supports the KJV Bible. The changes in the new versions are based on the remaining 5% of manuscripts, most of which are from Alexandria, Egypt. 
There are only two lines of Bibles, the Devil's line from Alexandria and the Lord's line from Antioch. I give you the chart earlier that shows you the two different lines and all the history with those lines. Nine, no one has ever proven that the KJV is not God's word. The 1611 should be considered innocent until proven guilty, with a significant amount of genuine manuscript evidence. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Nine, no one has ever proven that the KJV is not God's word. The 1611 should be considered innocent until proven guilty, with a significant amount of genuine manuscript evidence. Uh... 10. KJV exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. The true scripture should testify of Jesus Christ, according to John 5.39. There is no book on this planet which exalts Christ higher than the King James Bible. Um, in the numerous places, the new perversions attack the deity of Christ, the blood atonement, the resurrection, salvation by grace through faith, and the second coming. The true scriptures will testify of Jesus Christ, not attack him. And here I give you that link again to where do our Bibles come from, so you don't even have to go hunt for it, uh, that whole thing, and uh, gives you that. Now, okay, what's the what's the next thing? Well, there is a book written because you get this one. Oh, King James is a flaming homosexual. Heard it on the Zeitgeist or whatever. Wow, that's it's doing your homework there. There's a whole book written on this subject to refute refute that as well. Not now. Um, it's called King James, the sixth of Scotland, the, the first of England, unjustly accused by Stephen A. Coston Sr. The latest evidence supporting the godly character of King James. Here's just like a little bit about the book. The monarch, the myth, and his maligners. You've heard James's critics now read the truth. Fiction. There are a number of recorded statements in which James justified homosexuality and sodomy. King James was a homosexual monarch. This is what we hear all the time here. Fact. King James wrote in his work, Basilicon Doron, that, quote, There are some horrible crimes that ye are bound in conscience never to forgive, such as witchcraft, willful murder, incest, and sodomy. End of quote. There is no recorded objective documentation that King James ever practiced or promoted sodomy. The historical record only knows of King James' heterosexuality and condemnation of sodomy. Fiction. James was effeminate and encouraged his favorites to also be effeminate. Fact. King James considered, quote, soft delicacies in a man more than once. He said, quote, but especially askew, meaning askew means to stay away from, to be effeminate in your clothes. This is his own writings. Especially askew to be effeminate in your clothes, in perfuming, preening, or such like. Like some little frou-frou gay guy. Okay? And make not a fool of yourself in disguising or wearing long your nail or hairs, which are but excrements of nature. Guard against corrupt, effeminate ones. End of quote. The king also condemned female transvestism, 
meaning a guy dressing up like a woman, by instructing the clergy of royal order and express their commandment to vehemently condemn this in their sermons. See, I'm going by the guy's own writings now, instead of just believing like what Zeitgeist would say. Look at all the stuff Zeitgeist said about Jesus Christ. Fiction. King James did not love his wife, disliked the institution of marriage, and women in general. Fact. King James wrote of his wife, Queen Anne, quote, I thank God I carry that love and respect unto you, which by the law of God and nature I ought to do to my wife and the mother of my children. For the respect of your honorable birth and descent I married you, but the love and respect I now bear for you, for that year married, wife, and so particular of my honor, signed your own James Rex. That was how he signed it. Doesn't sound like he's disrespecting his wife there to me, or they didn't honor her. James also wrote love poetry to his wife, and in addition to this, James also wrote to Anne, his wife, quote, If it were possible for me to love her better than ever I did before, it were my part to do it. After her death, James wrote, quote, She was an excellent wife to us. She has left a great longing for her. End of quote. King James had eight children with his wife, Queen Anne. All of this and more is documented in the book, King James, um, the Sixth of Scotland, the first of, uh, first of England, Unjustly Accused. Read for yourself the actual facts surrounding the life and the character of King James. The contemporary and modern critics are put into proper perspective and real life of this much misunderstood monarch is clearly brought to light. This full-length historical work makes it evident that the facts are at odds with the fiction. Ben Johnson's comments made in James' own time are timely and applicable even today when he said, And there must go much more to the make of a guilty man than rumor. There must go much more to the make of a guilty man than rumor, which is what we're dealing with here. The court is now in session. Read for yourself what has been hidden on the shelves of libraries from around the world, which will now travel through the reaches of time to vanquish ignorance and the repression of the godly character of one of the most famous and learned princes of the Jacobin world, King James. Now, I tried to find this book the other day, and I, I didn't, I, granted, I didn't spend tons and tons, but just to like do a keyword search for it, it was only available at rare booksellers. I used to have a copy. I, I think I, I sent my copy to one of my listeners. Um, I just knew I probably wasn't going to have time to delve in, you know, and read and, and read that right now. And I figured someone else might need it more. And some of these copies were, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I don't know um, if it's out of print right now, but I do have the. Um, previous contact information on how to order it. It's a 392-page book. King James Unjustly Accused, uh, Bible, Bapt- Bible Baptist Bookstore. Um, all the, the, the stuff is here on how to order it. Um, I, again, I think you can probably still get a copy. It just might be that the ones that are out there that wound up in rare booksellers, 
I don't know. They're they're going for just obscene amounts of money. Um, and I would believe that this would be something that the Illuminati would not want getting out or want wanting to be known or made public, particularly because it totally refutes the whole zeitgeist occult New Age attack on King James thing. Um, so, here's the next, next one. Was King James a homosexual? There's absolutely no legitimate historical evidence to indicate that he was. The same critics who decry examinations of the lives of Westcott and Horde, the guys that wrote, the high-level occultists that wrote from the two Catholic, corrupt Catholic manuscripts, spawned the 1881 revised version that spawned most of the other modern-day versions. The, the same critics who decry examinations of the lives of Westcott and Hort as ad hominem attacks gleefully slander King James and by association deride the Bible translation that now bears his name. That's the whole point. First, we must note that whereas Westcott and Hort are directly responsible for the modern textual criticism theory and practice having a major impact on the translations employing their methods, King James did not have such influence on the authorized version. It wasn't like he was looking over the translator's shoulder saying, no, you, you, you missed a T there, there uh, Rick. You know, you, you, you missed a letter there. I, I was here to correct you. Westcott and Hort literally were the guys that translated that corrupt version from two corrupt Catholic manuscripts is the point there. Second, the charge itself is slanderous and false. The historical basis for the charge is based on non-eyewitness claims of enemies of King James who resented a Scot being on the throne of England. Modern scholars and um, continue to perpetuate this lie find themselves quoting modern homosexual authors with a clear agenda to promote and betray their monumental ignorance of the historical context of writings and customs. These same quote historians would cite 1 Samuel 18 as proof that David and Jonathan had sexual relations, which is just garbage. Further, an examination of King James' numerous extant writings show him to be a true man and father in deep love with his wife. We just read you some of the quotes. For complete and detailed research, he refers to this book again that we just went over, uh, King James Unjustly Accused. From The following is from Sam Gipp's answer book, um, which says, I've been told King James is a homosexual. Is this true? Answer, no. King James I of England, who authorized the translation of the now famous King James Bible, was considered by many to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, monarchs that England has ever seen. Through his wisdom and determination, he united the warring tribes of Scotland into a unified nation, and then joined England and Scotland to form the foundation of what is now known as the British Empire. At a time when only the churches of England possessed the Bible in, Eng in English, King James' desire was that the common people should have the Bible in their native tongue. Thus, in 1603, James called 54 of history's most learned men together to accomplish this great task. At a time when the leaders of the world wished to keep their subjects in spiritual ignorance, King James offered his subjects the greatest gift he could give them, their own copy of the Word of God in English. See why I'm kind of passionate about this? Because this is really a big deal. James, who was fluent in Latin, Greek, and French, also schooled in Italian and Spanish, even wrote a tract entitled Counterblast to Tobacco, which we referenced earlier, which was written to help thwart the use of tobacco in England. Such a man was sure to have enemies. 
Whoa, that was a doozy of a statement. If you would expect anyone to have enemies, it's going to be King James. Because of so much of what he stood for and did. Particularly with the King James Bible, how he commissioned it. One such man, Anthony Weldon, had to be excluded from um, the court. Weldon swore vengeance. It was not until 1650, 25 years after the death of King James, that Weldon saw his chance, like the little coward that he was. He wrote a paper calling James a homosexual. Obviously, James, being dead, was in no condition to defend himself. The report was largely ignored since there were still enough people alive who knew it wasn't true. In fact, it lay dormant for years, until recently when it was picked up by Christians who hoped to, who hoped that, quote Christians, who hoped that vilifying King James would tarnish the Bible that bears his name so that Christians would turn away from God's book to the more modern translations that are more palatable. You see, even these so-called Christians wanted this in their agenda. It might be also mentioned here that the Roman Catholic Church was so desperate to keep the true Bible out of the hands of the English people that it attempted to kill King James and all of Parliament in 1605 in the gunpowder plot. In 1605, a Roman Catholic by the name of Guy Fawkes, under the direction of a Jesuit priest by the name of Henry Gamet, was found in the basement of Parliament with 36 barrels of gunpowder. <laughs> 36 barrels? with which he was to use to blow up King James and the entire parliament. They are going to get rid of everybody. After killing the king, they planned on imprisoning his children and reestablishing England as a state loyal to the Pope and kill all who resisted. How bad they wanted to take this guy out. Needless to say, King James, but I believe God protected him, needless to say, the King James Bible would have been one of the plot's victims. Yeah, because it was 1605, this would have happened. Oh, imagine that. The translation the translation committee had just been started. They were just getting started on all of this. It would have been the perfect time. If they could have killed King James and all of Parliament, guaranteed those translators would have probably all been killed too. They would have had them assassinated. No King James Bible. And who knows how different history would have been if the gunpowder plot would have worked. But God had other plans. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that is awesome. Needless to say, King James Bible would have been one of the plot's victims. Fox and Garnett and eight other conspirators were caught and hanged. Praise God. Because they deserved it. Not praise God they're in hell, but I mean, come on. Trying to kill all these people? Hey, there, there's, there's penalties for sin. It seems that those who work so hard to discredit the character of King James join an unholy lot. Now, the next part, and I'm stopping here, is it's entitled, Who Were the King James Translators? Including excerpts from Translators Revived by Alexander McClure. And, I mean, this is, goes from 13... All the way to page, I think, 36. A lot of stuff. More stuff than I can cover. Um, 
So that I'll let you avail yourself to that if you like. Um, what I'm trying to do is give you a real good outline of this particular subject, try to cover a lot of the different facets of this. And then if you want to go further with it, you've got all the tools right here. Other than I can't obviously give you the book King James Unjustly Accused, um, but I think I do give you the way to order that if you like. And I'm sure it's just not going to get into the whole thing about him being supposedly a homosexual. It's probably going to defend him on a lot of other different levels as well. So, this is something that's been a long time coming, and I really just felt compelled that this needed to get done. I don't know anyone else that actually has a study like this that's actually defending the King James, the King James Bible, its translators, kind of all in one fell swoop. But it's more of a, this is more of like a little summary I'm giving you. Um, I'm just scratching the surface on this. You do have the resources, though, within this PDF to take this probably about as far as you want to take it. Uh, so, that's all I have for today. Um, God bless you, and we'll go ahead and, and uh, end, end in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, this time you've given us. We praise you for your goodness and your mercy. I pray, Lord God, that that um, I just pray, God, that you bless wherever your word or your truth is being preached worldwide. Uh, I, I pray that whatever you want to accomplish, Lord, with this study, that you do that. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed as we forgive those that have sinned against us, Lord that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, and that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, and that you use us, the body of Christ, Lord, mightily for your glory, that many souls would be saved as a result of what you would do by the power of the Holy Spirit through us, and that you give us divine providence, Lord, foreknowledge, wisdom, knowledge, understanding of what we need to do now and in the days ahead, Lord, um, in the perilous days that we face. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we humbly ask these things. Amen.